The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. Welcome to 2015 Jericho-holics. And guess how we're officially kicking off Talk is Jericho. I got the most iconic performer in wrestling history for two amazing episodes this week. You know who I'm talking about. Hulk Hogan, baby. Hulkamania is running wild on Talk is Jericho, brother. Hogan is my guest today and Friday and today. We'll hear all about the wrestling legends who inspired the Hulkster, his first meeting with Vince McMahon Sr., why he loved working in Japan, how he got the part in the Rocky movie. Hulk Hogan has some serious stories, brother, and you won't believe how many you're going to hear over the course of our two-hour conversation. This is the first podcast Hulk Hogan has ever done, and it's right here on Talk is Jericho, the biggest guests for you. The following program is a podcastwarm.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run has been broken by Chris Jericho. The People's Podcast has arrived. The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride. Take your man 
start a war hitting radio stations all across the nation right here right now you can go check out the new fozzy video for do you want to start a war at youtube go to fozzyrock.com you can check it out this is a new year for fozzy a new year for talk is jericho and we're going to start it off right officially hulk hogan is here two hours of hulkamania this week starting today and right off the bat you'll hear hulk's story about david letterman that's all i'm going to say about that wait until you hear it we'll also talk about the rocky movie rocky three how he got the part of Thunderlips and how it got him fired from wrestling he tells a great story about how he's mistaken for superstar billy graham and did you know that Hiro Matsuda broke Hulk's leg when he was training in Florida in the mid-70s? That's right. That was how hard it was to get in the wrestling business back in those days. They broke his leg, man. We're covering all the territories. Vern Gagne, Vince McMahon Sr., wrestling with uh, in New Japan with Antonio Inoki. So many cool things. I learned some things about one of my favorite wrestlers of all time that I never knew. And you'll find out, too. You're going to love Hulk Hogan's very first podcast appearance right here on Talk is Jericho. And another very first, if you haven't got your tickets yet for the great debate, Monday Night Wars, Pritchard versus Bischoff with Jericho moderating, you can still get those tickets January 25th in Philadelphia at Dave and Buster's on Columbus Avenue. And don't worry, you can come check out this show and still make it to the Royal Rumble. The great debate starts at 1 p.m. You can go straight over to watch the Wells Fargo Royal Rumble after that, or you can stay at Dave and Buster's and watch it there. You're not going to believe what they're going to talk about. We gave you a little taste of it a few episodes ago. But before we go any further, don't forget, buy those tickets at rfvideo.com for the great debate, Pritchard versus Bischoff with Jericho as the moderator. You're not going to want to miss this. Plus, there's a VIP signing with me and Eric at Bruce. It starts at 10 uh, a.m. in the morning before the show. Uh, get your tickets at rfvideo.com. This is going to be a one uh, once-in-a-lifetime uh, experience for wrestling fans. It's going to be huge. The Monday Night War is debated. Uh, and it's also huge that we've come so far on talk as Jericho. And I thank you so much because of you that we're doing this because of you helping us out if you want to help us out even more do your online shopping through my amazon links it's the easy way to support talk is jericho you go to podcast1.com you click on keep our podcast free banner at the top of the page eh? then you hit the talk is jericho button it's the easiest way to support the show because every time you use one of my amazon links amazon kicks back a couple bucks to the show to help us cover production costs i got links for amazon usa amazon uk and amazon canada a eh? you get all kinds of cool stuff on amazon uh, uh skid row record we had Snake Sabo on, of Stuck Mojo Records. We had Rich Ward on just a, a couple episodes ago. The new Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? You heard that title track a few minutes ago. My new book and my third New York Times bestseller, The Best in the World at What? I Have No Idea. Listen, you can buy whatever you want. I needed a new monitor the other day for my stand-up video game. Broke down. Went and bought that on Amazon. You can get whatever you want to get. And the truth about using my Amazon links, buy what you want and it won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or extra challenges. So if you happen to be doing some online shopping, you do it through my Amazon 
Amazon links. You help out the show in the process. You go to podcastone.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. Then you hit the Talk Is Jericho button. Bookmark it so you can get to those links in one easy click. All right. The Y2J WWE Winter Tour starts this weekend in Montgomery, Alabama on Saturday. These are the only dates I'm doing. No TVs, no pay-per-views. I'm the reverse Brock Lesnar. I'm only doing the live events, the house shows, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Saturday, Montgomery. Sunday in Mobile. And we're going the 16th to St. Louis, 17 uh, Las Vegas, 18 Houston, 23 Trenton, 24 uh, East Rutherford in the Meadowlands, 31st Edmonton, February 1st Calgary, 7th Jacksonville, 8 Canton, Ohio, 14th Valentine's Day in Tampa, Florida, 15th Fort Myers, 27 in Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world, 28th in Toronto, 3-1 March 1st Buffalo, New York. These are the only dates you're going to see me doing for a long time. So if you're coming to those shows or you want to see Chris Jericho live in the WWE, to be ring you got to come check me out you know i'm going to be rocking it i got a lot of cool stuff planned i'm coming to see you guys i'm very very excited to be doing it i'm also excited to continue the cinder block party the world tour 2015 with the dirty youth one of the biggest up-and-coming bands in the uk today we're starting march 4th in belfast ireland we're going to cork on the 5th we're going to uh, dublin on the 6th Nottingham 7, Wolverhampton 8, Manchester 9, Glasgow 10, Underworld in London on the 11th, Bristol on the 12th, 13th Exeter, 14th Southampton, 15th Brighton, 17, we go over to Paris, France, 18 Pratelne, Switzerland, 19 Munich, 20 Mannheim, 21st Bochum, Germany. All these dates, all tickets, and all VIP information available at FozzyRock.com. Come on down and hang out with us. You are going to love it. I guarantee it, FozzyRock.com, for all of that. All right, if you've read The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea, you know uh, my best friend's name is Spiwi. Got a very interesting name. He pulled the greatest rib ever on me of all time. Uh, We talked about that in the chapter called Boots. Uh, He's here with me right now. Been staying at my house for the last 10 days. Uh, We got to have Spiwi and find out uh, where he got the name, where he came up with Boots. He's a real funny, interesting guy. And let's check him out right now. All right. We're here with the illustrious Spiwi. You're kind of late, though. Where where you been? I uh, I was upstairs with the dirty diaper. I come down. I'd like to continue doing some texts. But we talk here. <laughs> Texting people. That's you want to text while we're talking? Yeah. So you're here at my house, and you've been uh, here for the last uh, week or so. You kind of drive me nuts. Running its course. Yeah. 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 I think we, we don't really have anything to say to each other unless we've been drinking. We're not actually close. People think we're good friends, but we're just two raging alcoholics. Yeah, and that's yeah. why we, we're the only two people that are still up that late at yeah, night, yeah. which is why we still get along. It's uh, it's the mornings are we we kind of avoid each other. That's yeah, a it's funny <laughs> thing. Like I followed him around you around today, and uh, you look at me like you shut doors. Like you go into yeah. rooms and you just shut the door, and I'm just looking at a door, <laughs> and I'm kind of like, well, this is great. So I, you know, do my well, thing. Well, I mean, that, well, that's it's. I think like, we've always kind of had that relationship when when yeah when when uh, night comes, we're rocking and having a great yeah. time till like six or seven in the morning. And then the rest of the day, we're kind of wanting to saw each other. Like, you know, when you wake up in the morning next to some girl that you can't believe you want to saw your arm off. <laughs> that's what we're like. That's totally. It, right? It's been like 30 years or something. <laughs> exactly, that's what we're exactly. like. That's but funny. I mean, it's good that you're at my, at my house where you, you know, I have a room, you're upstairs, you're downstairs. Yeah. But when I stay at your house, you put me in a room with a, with a, with a toilet, yes. with an <laughs> empty toilet beside it. <laughs> the place has been cleaned since. Okay. And there's, you know, less of that clutter 
But you had like a great uh, like a orange garbage oh, bag full of, of porno tapes. <laughs> they were VHS <laughs> tapes. They weren't necessary porno, necessarily porno tapes. There was oh, okay. What did you have in your sure cupboard? There was you, had, a few. you had the worst snacks ever at your house, too. Yeah, what did you have in there? I don't, I, when people come, I jam everything into closets and, and places. And, and first glance, hey, this is nice. You, you, like you live fairly clean. Right. And then they have, just have to open up a closet. The bowling ball falls off. <laughs> the typical scene. <laughs> yeah, it's like right. Happy days. Yeah. And just comes flying down. And uh, well, I remember the one time I went looking through your cupboards for, for a snack and there was a car battery in the cupboard. Right. And I always keep a box of condoms. The ma- magnum yeah. condoms. Yeah, a magnums. I like the magnums. You show the magnum to the girl, my favorite thing. And they get so excited, you know, when you're finally at that level, which right. is, you know, I know some people are against this premarital intercourse thing, but it works. <laughs> this isn't 1975. It's <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah, this is my <laughs> Afghanistan bit. <laughs> and <laughs> so, the, you know, you, and then they see the Magnum logo and they get excited, which I guess I would too. If, and sure. So I, uh, and then I take it and they, they don't realize I'm putting it over my balls too. <laughs> You know, it's always the, and, like, and then they have to tell you, and you go, "What are you kidding me?" Like, I, what are I you think talking I would know. about? I think I would know how to put a condom on. Thank you, ma'am. So, so, so your speed, uh, the illustrious Speedy, you were all over uh, the best in the world of what I have no idea. My my, my third book, uh, the big chapter was boots. Where um, why I'm here, baby. Yeah, that's why you're here. But uh, the, the boots, uh, the, possibly the greatest rib ever pulled on me of all time. Um, And it started when we were together. We went to LA, you and me, and and John Howarth, our friend from Australia. John's me. How's it going? It's going to be a wrestler. It's going to be a wrestler. I'm the wrestler. Let's just take the marbles out of your mouth. We'll all get along. Um, so we were in L.A. and uh, it's not and, racist against Aussies. Is it? Okay, uh, he sounds like you're making him. We're making him sound like Aussie. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about this, baby? Yeah. So uh, we go to L.A. and we have a, a great time. Uh, uh, we stayed at the at the Roosevelt Hotel, which apparently was haunted by the ghost yep. of Montgomery, Montgomery Clift. Clift from. Uh, what like movies? the 30s, like from here yeah. to eternity or something. Yes, that was the big, so that the hotel, yeah, the, the, the hotel was uh, was the Roosevelt, where right. apparently he died there, six oh two or something. Something right, haunted. Yeah, uh, you can hear him playing the bugle at night and having sex still. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I had to leave. We were there. We had a great time. Uh, we, you, you guys went to SummerSlam where you had front row seats and you fell asleep during Undertaker's match. We drink a lot. Yeah. Just so if everybody's not aware of that, it's it's really disgusting. Yeah. We're, uh, yeah. We're we're gonna, we have no relationship whatsoever other than we like to drink a lot. I turn 43 tomorrow. Right. You yeah. do. Absolutely. Tomorrow. You just want to slide birthday. that in there? Yeah. Just, <laughs> just in case yeah, I got something any, to push. Any presents? Yeah, exactly. Spewie's <laughs> birthday. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Forget about Hogan. It's Spewie. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Hogan will be on time when he won't have a dirty diaper. Yeah. Like Hogan, no dirty diaper. But, yeah, no so, texting. Like, you remember when you fell, asleep, uh, you, you fell asleep during the Undertaker's match? At SummerSlam? Yeah, we had been out the night before, and we must have tied it on like crazy people. Plus, you know, I'm a bit of a nervous traveler. Not as much so now, but back then I would go out on the road, and I I instantly get constipated if I sit on a bus or something. You know, any public transport, I'm done. So (laughs) I'm I'm just screwed. So I just... uh, and then all the drinking and then the partying and, and not being able to sleep at all. And you could, I think it was SummerSlam 2009. If you watch so, the probably. match, you'll see Spewey sitting in the front row uh, with his like the most bored look on his face he ever sees. I almost thought that Vince McMahon was going to go, tell that guy in the front row to leave. You texted me that. You said, oh, yeah. get your shit together 
and pretend that you at least like this. Yeah. Or uh, like you're out of here kind of v- thing. Vince yeah. is going to kick yeah, you out. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So then we had a tour of Japan. So I go to Japan. Oh, you got a text? Do you have to yeah, check it? You want to read it live on the air? Uh, Canada just won the gold medal. Okay, there you go. Against Russia juniors. All right. Okay, there you go. So, um, so I go to Japan and you and, and Howarth stay there. And I'm in Japan. I get this text saying, I think it was from Riot. Oh, me and Spoo went to Sky Ball. We went to Sky right. Ball. And, and, and we just met Brad Pitt and George Clooney, and they love Spiwi. So, um, and I was like, come on, like, whatever. So, yeah. like, that was the text that you sent. When you left in, to go wrestle in Japan, you, uh, you kept texting us, like, a lot. Like, but, you know, John, too, like, he kind of was like, holy crap, like, he's texting us every couple minutes. And then John like actually says, John says, he goes, you know, he missed us. He misses us. He likes us. It's real, real love. It's not fake. <laughs> and uh, um, so we, uh, he says he actually came up with it. I got to give him 100% on it. And then we just latched on and got all these ideas. But it was him saying, you know, we should, uh, we should tell him and do this. And then we just started brainstorming. Tell him that you met Pitt and Clooney, that yeah. Pitt loved you yeah. because of your crazy right. eyes. Right. Because right. you got these kind of, kind of crazy I take eyes. full credit, by the way, for this part of the story. John just had an idea to try to screw with you. <laughs> okay, the craziest. Okay. So, <laughs> Sorry, so, John. So then um, so I'm like, Pitt, okay, like, good point. for you guys. You met Pitt. And the thing is, like, with you, like, you never really get intimidated. Like, you don't really know who half the celebrities are anyway. Not the ones you know. <laughs> so I could totally see. <laughs> I could totally see you going up Are to they those from the guys. Dylan, Dylan camp at all? I, I, I could totally see you going up to those guys and like buying them a drink or something like that anyways, right? So it didn't surprise me when it said that you, know, that you guys hung out with them and that, that Pitt liked you. I was like, oh, that's kind of like right. super far-fetched, but yeah. I guess I buy it. And then uh, uh, like a week later or something, you text me like, dude – like, what did you say that Pitt gave you your, your, your gave him your number, gave you his manager's you know, you know number? I, I think it happened shorter than a week. I think it happened while John and I were still there together. That we, that, that like Pitt had yeah. had, had called no, you. That I had said that to you. Just like I think it was faster than a full week or something. It was sort of like, hey, we met him, and then we let you suck on that a tiny bit, right? Not a week, yeah, because we were still together in L.A. as we were doing this, right? And then I'd throw that out, like, yeah, like, actually, I just got a call from them, and they want me to do a movie with them, right? And uh, some movie they're producing, and they said that I had crazy eyes. Crazy eyes. So that's... And that, that, and that was everything. how it and started. That, and that helped you kind of trick you in a way, because I do kind of have crazy eyes. Like, it's like <laughs> if I trance out, you know, if I just stare yeah. like a... Uh, too much uh, smoke or something. I'm just and <laughs> right. I just stare at something. Yeah, I look like uh, a serial killer. Little, and actually, people did think you looked like Paul they Bernardo. Did. They did. Who's like a yeah, famous Canadian Canadian serial killer or something? Yeah, <laughs> right. That was fun for me. I was in. This is the true story. I was in the um, not and we'll, not to take away no, from no, the boots here, but um, this is way Continue. better of a story. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, twenty four years old or something and I was in the best shape of my life like I lived in the gym right right six foot two uh, hundred and like 85 pounds like male model all teeth right <laughs> just my white teeth my white crest strips uh, white crest white strips were just out on the market <laughs> I was I just was sucking them back right gums aching so ended up uh I got I got lost on the teeth and the weight that you I lost. Paul Bernardo. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, back You're to the that. best shape like, of your that's life. That's a great. That was a great story. Well, there's more. There's I more lost Latin. it thinking about how hot I was. <laughs> <laughs> I have beautiful lips and great hips on me. You should have seen me. My rumpus was wonderful. Flowing I was perfectly hair. tanned. I had sun in my hair, and my hair was flowing. <laughs> wow. Who's that? Okay, so. 
Okay. Bernardo. So, okay. So, anyways, uh, yeah. So uh, the Canadian uh, murderer Bernardo is all over the place, all over the paper, all over the news. It's twenty four seven, and I'm starting a new job, and I'm over at the window company that I was with uh, doing some sales of windows, hmm. and um, and and I go in there and I'm out on an installation. They want me to put windows in before I can sell them to to teach me the the ropes. So I'm going out as a trainer. And the first time it hits is this family just points their head out of the window. They go, hey, ask that helper, they say to the two real men, you know, <laughs> ask that helper um, if he's uh, got relatives in St. Catharines, Ontario. And then the husband's just laughing as the wife asked the question. I'm and that's like, where Paul Bernardo was yeah, from. Yeah, right. So that was my first thing. And then the next day, the installation coordinator's like, would Paul Bernardo come to the installation coordination office or whatever it was called? Yeah. And I walked just with my head down as 300 people. You know, it was all slow motion to me, right? <laughs> just ah, clapping and Bernardo's walking around. And, and then my mom, you know, was such a sweet, sweet lady. And, you know, nobody could say anything about me. And they could say things. Right. But not, you know, she just wouldn't allow it. She's yeah. like, oh, they're just jealous of you and you're, you know, this and that. You're perfect. You're a male model. Yeah, you're a yeah. male model. You're beautiful. And uh, and she, I, I, she says, you don't look like him at all. That's just a bunch of garbage. And I just took the free press and I just slid it across the table. You hucked and she, it at her? Yeah, hucked it at her, which is how I usually tell this story. Yeah. I throw it at her. Yeah. And she looks and she just goes, oh, Right, <laughs> it was a dead ringer to Paul S. Bernardo. I don't know if that's his middle name, but it is I try not. to class him up a little yeah. bit. So, 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 uh, and you also kind of look like Simon Lebon a little bit back then. Oh, that was bad. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy. I don't like that. He's okay. got a big head, right. and uh, right. I don't. So we'll stick. We'll, so, so we won't say you look like head, the lead yet. singer of Duran Duran, who was a heartthrob. We'll just say you look like the serial killer. That's okay. When I wake up with a bigger beard. <laughs> So yeah, you, when you wake up, you have a fat head. Yeah, because my beard grows through the night, and it's like static, and it sticks out, and then it makes it, it, it somehow make, it makes. I think the hairs stand up, and it makes people stare at my head. Okay, because my head is actually huge, big noggin, yeah, especially with those crazy eyes. So we have similar size heads. Well, yeah, but I don't have a beard though. That's the difference. Right. I shaved my beard, right. so I don't look like a fat head in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the, it's just water. It's water. So you, you told me, okay, I got a call. Uh, Brad right. Pitt's manager is like Cynthia, Cynthia right. Platt Smith or something, and and I got this gig doing right. a movie with Brad Pitt, and and and, and I'm going to be making thirty grand, and yeah. they're flying me out the first class ticket. They're working on my visa, and I'm like, okay, this is total bullshit. Of There's no way it's happening. I would be but the same. Yeah, I were. went and googled Brad Pitt's manager, and of yeah. course, it's Cynthia yeah. Platt Smith. No, he's just butt in because I heard you tell the story. We've been talking about the story a little bit, right? And this whole. Uh, thing about using Google today is like always iPhone 5 sure of course of course fours. you go Google mental but this is 2009 right this is five years ago yeah six years ago right yeah and there's it, it wasn't like that it's like mm -hmm. I was probably sporting a flip phone or a Blackberry Pearl <laughs> or something the, the wheel would come out and I'd spend all day looking for it so I could continue texting <laughs> For me, that was really bad. Yeah. But, but so, so we 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 just went to our phones and did it, and then we said to you, "Hey, her name, um, whatever, know, Cynthia, Cynthia, whatever. Her name, her name is Cynthia, something. Yeah, yeah, right. And then so you did it, like three sixty you know? management. Right, right. So I Google it and I find out like that's really his manager. So yeah. I know ninety nine point nine percent that you're full of it, but there's still that little piece that thinks, <laughs> "What if this is true?" Right. You know, like you know, Ashton Kutcher got that '70s show in his very first audition. Of like, course. so Speedy just goes to L.A. and he meets Brad Pitt. And he's in a movie. I've never been in a Brad Pitt movie. Plus, we did not stop. Yes, we were relentless, and usually a joke would go by the end of the day yeah. before you went to bed, and that's how we got you. We just sat. And, and I even I knew told, that. and I even said to Riot, "Listen." Yeah, John Howarth. I said, "Listen, 
this mm-hmm. has gone too far. Tell me the truth. And he's yeah. the worst secret keeper ever. He was he's great. Like, at he's this. got looser lips than he Julian Assange. He was the Assange. backbone of this whole idea. He was of saying, "Let's never." He even he he still didn't want to break when we had everything done. He yeah. didn't want to break. He was like, "Oh, let's keep it going forever and ever." And it was it was getting to me like it was tearing me apart. Where I called my manager Barry Bloom and I said, "Listen, right. can you please call 360 Management and find out if they have somebody right. on their roster named Dave Spivak?" Yeah. Which is Spiwi's real right. name? The home, the home run for me, for me, uh, like just personally on the whole thing, was when you said to me, "Come on, man, this is bullshit." For the fifteenth time, and I threw a fit at you, and yeah. I was like, "You know what? I don't need this." Sh- all right, you could be at least happy for me. My life's been kind of crappy, if you haven't noticed, the past couple of years, and you could at least be happy for me. And that was it. It was done. It was probably a text message because we don't speak ever, ever, ever. ever. No, we don't talk. And then I started feeling sad, like, like the well, voice you know, text. But yeah, that's not yeah. The same. But you're like, yeah. oh, this is my big chance. Right. This is my big chance. Why can't you be happy for me? And then I started feeling like a little bit of a heel. But then Barry, I get him to. He calls. He goes, listen. Yeah. He goes, there's no Dave Spivak on their roster. I'm like, yes, yeah. but we have offices. In they have Santa offices in, in New York and Santa Monica. Yeah. So I have to check these other places. Yeah. I'm like, Barry, find out, find out, find out. And then you tell me that you're gonna have to go to L.A. because uh, you got to go meet with the other actors. Well, hang on a minute. I'm like this that never your, happens. How do you know if you ever been in a Brad Pitt movie? Right? <laughs> that's that's, oh, what, that's I what I said in your book. In my right? book, yeah, how am I supposed true. to move? That's how Brad yeah, Pitt yeah. does his thing. You he know has what coffee mean? and donuts with the locals, and that invites them in there. So then I'm like, okay, I couldn't. I was so it was making me furious and then you're like listen if you don't believe me i'm gonna send you the contract i'm like bring it on send me right. the contract so how did you get the contract so okay so i and you know lawn which is yeah, our, our we idiot know savant friend, friend of, lawn lawn yeah. will be and he, he grew panini. up down the street from me as a kid right. right so nobody really hung out with him that we hung out with i yeah. don't think or maybe there was a few you know people but right but him and i hung out all the time because he was just two doors down kind of thing or three and and uh He's always been my go-to guy about everything. Like uh, friends of ours refer to him as my limo driver. You know, don't disrespect. He's a hell of a guy. He's a great friend. He's an awesome. But he guy. basically does whatever. But he's, he does. he's just well. He's just that type of guy. He's yeah. A, he's a guy that gets shit done. He's not a huge talker. He just gets stuff done. Okay. So you call him. What do you say? I said, uh, listen, uh, I'm pulling this rib on Chris. Uh, I need you to make up a fake script or and and like a contract and and everything. Like take take it and own it. And that's it. Like, I, and I get off the phone real quick with him, right? You know, like, and hang out. Just do it. And yeah. the best thing is he comes up with the, with the name of the movie is Boots. Right. Like, that's the yeah. best he could come yeah. up with was yeah. Brad Pitt stars in That Boots. contract we sent you and Barry was so well put together from him. Like, he studied one online. He copied it pretty much just like you would steal somebody's essay in school. It's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. copy all of everything, but you add a little bit of your yeah, own yeah, stuff, yeah. right? So yeah, the the contract was so well worded, and that's what really I was really starting to flip Super out. Super professional. And then you're we're like, talking like a 26 page contract. And then finally, I'm like, you know, I, you, know you this is. And you're like, listen, read the contract, read. Yeah, because I knew Article you read Five. It all. Yeah, of course, <laughs> read Article Five, Codicil Seven, and yeah, they are, and it said like you know, and <laughs> the uh, and and also Dave Spivak. And every other person in the world, including his dog, Rosie, knows that this could never happen. It's total right. bullshit. And Chris yeah. Jericho is a big moron right. for even believing it. Right. I was like, oh, right. you bastards. <laughs> you, ba- you had me going for about a month. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. To where I was staying awake at night yeah. thinking about you yeah, and jealous. Brad Pitt boots. Mad. Why does he get to do it when I'm not doing a movie <laughs> with Pitt? I could just see you. You'd be crazy. Why do we talk like that? I don't, I, I'm really not sure. Like but, then, but then I'm like, oh, well, i got to build the Speedy brand, which I've been working on for years. You people, have been. People, it, people part of your Speedy. success has been trying to push me. Push you. And it's very rare. I'm very Dylan-like with these interviews. I don't do a lot. 
I know. I don't meet a lot of people. I don't sign a lot of autographs. I don't. Well, uh, you, and actually, last night we went to a fundraiser, and a guy had a copy of my book. Yeah. And, and so he goes, "Is that Spewy?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Go get his autograph." What happened? Well, he's a great guy. You know, I don't want to ever talk shit about the fans. That's for certain. Yeah, but you, you got mad at him. Yeah, I didn't like him. <laughs> you didn't like the fact that you put. How was that? It was my second autograph I've ever had to sign, and I didn't like either of them. Would you just sign like a scrawl or something? Yeah, just like a sperm or something. Just. <laughs> <laughs> I say here, here's Lon's phone number. Yeah. I'll send you anything you need. <laughs> What's a black and whites? <laughs> no, so, he was a fun kid. I don't even he was, yeah, whatever. One this is not worth talking about me signing autographs. You're the you're the big chief. I'm sitting here on your marble floors, you know. Yes, absolutely. Actually you you're my lawn. Yeah. You should, true. yeah that's great. Yeah, that's funny. That's a good song. Lawn. You're my lawn. Yeah, next Fozzy hit. That's perfect, man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, we're building the Speedy brand at Speewe. Follow him on Twitter. He's a he's got uh, over a thousand. Uh, been, I, I think I'm around twelve hundred. Nice. You're on Instagram followers. too. I am. Yeah, I'm on Instagram as well. Nice. Under Spewy. Nice. Under Spewy. Yeah. Well, see, uh, since now we're not talking about drinking, we're running out of stuff to talk about. So let's go have some drinks. Oh, that's what we're gonna do now. Yeah. This is over. I could go all night here. We could just you could just <laughs> use this for three or four shows. Don't go. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. We're actually here uh, with, with Hulk Hogan himself, the immortal Hulk Hogan, at, at Hogan's Beach, which is about 20 minutes down from where I live. And what a great place, man. This place is awesome. It's not Hogan's Bitch. It's Hogan's Beach. No, <laughs> I'm Hogan's Canadian. Beach. Canadian. Hogan's Beach, eh? Eh. No, it's cool, man. It uh, it's, uh, was a little venture that I uh, had no idea what was going to happen, you know, in your hometown. Mm. And it's turned out to be like a little party place, you know. Food's pretty good. And um, we got a lot of wrestling memorabilia in here from... The, all the all the eras from Memphis to WWF to AWA to WWE WWF and all, all points in between and a lot of B movie stuff, <laughs> low budget movie <laughs> stuff. But I like the I like the picture out up there of you and Johnny Carson. That was pretty oh cool. Oh my gosh, yeah, that was I was sweating my butt off. I was so nervous. Yeah. So well, that's the Tonight Show. I mean, that's the yeah. Actually, events. Brooke Shields was there, right? Yeah. So she was like sixteen or seventeen. And her mother was there, and the last thing I was going to do was. Hit on Brooke Shields. I was scared to death of her. You know, major star. And I'm stumbling around this night show, right. and uh, it was, I remember that night she was there, and uh, her mom was brutal. I just remember it was crazy. Like what, guarding over her, you yeah, mean? like the protective mama yeah. bear. You know. Fast forward what thirty years later, and suddenly Susan. I did that show with her and oh, Judd yeah. Nelson. And she was wide open then. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. Did you only do Johnny uh, Johnny Carson once? Were you on there quite a bit? No, I did. I've done. Uh, I did the Johnny Carson show a couple times with him. I've done it with everybody. Mm-hmm. A couple times with him. A bunch of times with Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. A couple times with Arsenio. A bunch of times that. with Jay Leno. Always. Yeah. You know, so I've kind of like hit every. Host yeah, all the, all the eras in there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the funniest deal is I never did Letterman. Really? Yeah. So. D- Dave's not as much of a, of a wrestling friendly. He doesn't have a lot of the guys on. But then again, you're Hulk Hogan. You've well, transcended. Well, I, 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 I was a, a total ass, too. Oh. You know, and, and I did something that might not have been Dave's fault, 
but my ex-wife Linda, uh-huh. when I was working for uh, Vince uh-huh. in the early '80s, probably about '84, we had a house in Stanford, and so you know, of course, I came back from the office there, and I was always running down on Summer Avenue back in the day, the old office. And Linda came in, and she goes, oh, my gosh, you won't believe what happened. And she's like eight months pregnant. I said, no, what happened? She goes, I was in Giovanni's, and David Letterman hit on me. And so, of course, whoa, total redneck, barbaric, <laughs> you know, back-in-the-day attitude. That son of a bitch, Ebersol, you tell Letterman I'm coming down to kick his ass. So I told Ebersol, who we were working with, that I was going to come down to the Rockefeller Center. Dick Ebersol, like the head of NBC. Right. right. And I was going to come down and kick Letterman's ass. And I wonder, you know, 30 years later, I was never invited on the show. (laughs) But I'm scared of you. I actually did that stupid. He could have probably beat my ass, but I actually (laughs) did that stupid crap. Scared. But you you mentioned Ebersol and how how important. uh, It's funny with the network, man. It's blowing my mind. I, I can't buy it because there's so much stuff in there not even my stuff i would just want to watch saturday night's main event and all that like it's kind of a classic time and that was heavily involved with with dick dick ebersol he was a real champion for for wwf and for you right i'm gonna give you a little hint about the network if you just hold out for a couple more weeks they'll give it to you <laughs> because once they found out i didn't have it yeah they sent me a text to say, hey hogan we're gonna give you the net i got it at home on my tv right but i didn't yeah. have it on my phone Right. Now I just keep running my battery down and watching all my old stuff. You know. <laughs> Do you watch a lot of your old stuff on there? Well, I just watch the NWO stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. that's kind of, they've got the Monday Night Wars on. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, i got to pat myself on, on the back and be a total eagle maniac. I was a good heel, man. Oh, dude. I mean, I did Amazing. the Ray Stevens, Patterson stuff. I'd chop meat, then back up and beg and mm-hmm. cower. Nobody would do that, you it, know. It, you actually showed, showed yourself to be a heel. Yeah, and the babyface I was working with, like Diamond Dallas Page, I asked if if I could hook the ropes on that whatever that finish was, His, diamond, uh, cutter. diamond cutter. And he went and ran to Eric and talked to Eric for two. I said, Eric, I just asked him if I could just do you know do a false finish on him, and he freaked out. So I I didn't realize you know after watching the stuff, all the stuff from you know the stuff that was going on and being mm-hmm. the heel, I forgot you know because half that time I was brain dead running around, so I forgot about all that stuff. Well, we do so much too. I mean, some will say, you know, my favorite match. Remember when you did this, this? And you're like, I, I honestly don't remember. Like, there's no memory of it. Not because I was high or anything. It's just you do so much work in such a short period of time, <laughs> you forget. Though you know, you really do. Well, here's what you, here's what you just forgot. Was the Ebersol question? Right. Because I did, See, an, I did, I did an end around. That's nice. We're going to have a lot of those, Hulk. Yeah. I'll tell you right I'm now. I'm horrible at that. But anyway, Ebersol played a huge role in, I mean, everything we did. And I'm always like a parrot. You know, I really don't know a whole heck of a lot about anything. Mm-hmm. I just know a little bit of stuff about a whole lot of things. <laughs> so when I hear something from Vince or something, like, oh, yeah, that's right. You should be in the production truck in Cuba and the downtown. You know, I'll just mm-hmm. say something. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And me and Ebersol got along great. And the one time that there was a major script, Ebersol was always in the truck. I mean, he really put us on the map. And he, first time on network TV, wrestling, and crazy ratings. So Ebersol was raw, raw for the home team. He was like a godsend to us. But we were such good friends, you know. And we'd ride around and drink in the car and have a good time. And his wife was always cool with us and get along great with him. The one time he screwed up, which really wasn't his screwed up, I had to blame somebody. <laughs> but... Me and Macho were in a tag match, I think, against the Twin Towers or something, Earthquake and somebody else, Akeem or something. I can't remember. Yeah, and Akeem, was, Akeem and uh, uh, Big Boss Man. Yeah. and Twin Towers. Randy came through the ropes and crossbody Liz through the ropes. 
Yeah. You know? And instead of hitting the mat, she went over and actually hit her head. Right. On the floor. And it was great because it looked good. She didn't get hurt. Even you know? better, yeah. And we didn't practice it because we're like, one shot deal, brother. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So we went back and I carried her back and as you got lust in your eyes for Elizabeth, we were shooting that angle, right? Yeah. So we get in the back and we go to commercial break because we're live. Saturday night live. And all of a sudden, we're talking, Randy, God damn it, you get on the other side of the thing. And when we come up, have your finger in my face. I said, Ebersol, give me a 10. He's going, you mean we're already on the air, Dick? Thanks. I, I said, that. after that, get your ass. I told him, I said, it's your fault, Ebersol. I had to have the game face for Vince. I said, that was not my fault, Vince. It was Ebersol's. Don't ever let him out of the truck again. <laughs> That's the you classic know? movie. I'm going to sell it like this or something. And then they actually show you start crying. Yeah. yeah but as a fan, you didn't know. But we were on the air live. I'm going to us more about Give me a 10 count, Ebersol. Yeah, give me a cue or something, brother. Yeah. I think you said. Yeah. Oh, you remember that? I do remember it. Yeah. Because even as a fan, we didn't know, but you remember saying like something went down there. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It's the Hogan. It's Hulk. So. Uh, oh, well. And then he also he was instrumental, too, around that time of you being on Saturday Night Live with Mr. T, which was an amazing yeah, feat, that too. Yeah, was, that was uh, a little before the main event. Okay. That was like before WrestleMania 1. Was that an Ebersol thing, or was that more That was of a, a Brandon Tartikoff deal. Oh, okay. Yeah, because uh, Brandon Tartikoff at the time was really into wrestling and mm-hmm. just loved it and you know was following the whole shift you know right, the right. momentum shift and uh i think it had to do more with peter young and mr t being the star of the 80s i was kind of like hang on to the coattails then who's peter young he's uh my agent okay gotcha. and he was also mr t's agent okay and to back the story up even farther and this is how it all started when stallone was looking for a wrestler mm-hmm. for the rocky movie mm-hmm his casting agent was a lady named Rhonda Young. She was like the main casting agent through Hollywood through the 70s and 80s. So when Stallone goes, hey, Rhonda, you know, I need a wrestler for this cameo part, she went to her, her uh, brother, Peter Young, who was in Boston, who's a huge wrestling mark, mm-hmm. said, hey, Peter, who's the wrestler we should cast for the Rocky movie? So he was watching wrestling, and he said, oh, you got to get Hulk Hogan. So you'll hear all these stories from Gorilla Monsoon, you know, backdoor the thing, who gave me, who I took his spot in the movie, <laughs> to um, Arnold Schwarzenegger giving me, I'm not Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Scullin getting me the part, to George Napolitano getting me the part, you know, to Bill Apter. Oh, cool. Actually, I saw Bill, hey, remember, brother, I'm the one that gets you in the rocking room. You know? sure but, the, but the truth is it came from Peter Young, hmm. who at the time was Mr. T's agent. Mm-hmm. And after he got me in the, the Rocky movie, um, he asked me if I need an agent. I said, I think so, because I don't think I did too good negotiating this deal for myself. <laughs> you know. Were you working for, for Vince at that point in time, or were you still working for Vern Gagne? Well, I was working for Vince, but right after I took the part, he fired me. Why? Um, mindset, barbaric hmm. mindset. You know, if you're a wrestler, you don't do TV, you don't do uh, commercials, you don't, really? you don't do... This uh, is junior or senior? Senior. Really? And so senior, you know, and I actually, the truth was he had me booked. Uh, I was in Fall River working on a house show. And the next day I was supposed to, I mean, that night after I finished, they put me on before intermission. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to drive from Fall River and be at TV for Crockett. Um, okay. It was either in Atlanta or Charlotte. I can't remember at noon. Right. So I was going to drive all night to go to TV. And I called Vince, you know, who I was kind of like Vince's boy, young boy coming up. And so I called Vince at home in Fort Lauderdale. I said, hey, Vince. Um. Tony Greer just told me I had to be at Crockett TV at noon. I said, brother, I'm, I told you like two weeks ago, 
you know, that I was going to do this uh, Rocky movie. And Vince Sr. goes, no, you're not doing that movie. And so when I called him at home for a while, he says, look, if you do the movie, you're, you will never work here again. Hmm. And so I went and did the movie. Because you know? you're thinking, like, this is a big chance to be in Yeah, plus, plus I was single and I had a gorgeous girl in Japan. And I <laughs> love being in Japan. I yeah. love spending 22, 24, 26 weeks a year in Japan. Yeah. And, I mean, I loved it over there. So uh-huh. I was like, oh, Japan's a lot easier than being over here for me. You know, as partners with Hanson, we were just sure. raping and pillaging, having a blast over there, you know. Was that one, like, was that your first kind of really big run? Or were you kind of already in AWA having a big run at that point in time, too? No, it was before the AWA. So this is your, one of your first Yeah, yeah. Big this places. was when I went in as a heel with Fred Blassie, and the big deal was Shea Stadium with Andre. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the big deal, you know, the Shea Stadium thing with Andre and my run with Andre, because what happened was things were all still territorial, and Andre had nobody to work with in all these territories. So they... They got me hot on the TV by feeding me guys in Allentown Renning. Then they'd send me to Watts' territory for two weeks. And I'd beat everybody up in Watts' territory. Then Andre would come in, shoot an angle on TV, bang, hit him with a gimmick, get a little, get a little kizzle, and then we'd go out and sell the Superdome out or something. Right. You know? And so I did that all around the territory. So Andre needed someone to travel with him and party with him, so I was a designated driver. <laughs> you know. So that's how the, the first run was. And then when I got the call for the Rocky movie, um, I thought it was the boys ribbing me. So at Allentown TV, I got this Western Union letter. I'm like, yeah, right. I went to Japan for like four weeks, called Vince Sr. and said, can I stay four more weeks? He goes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I came back from Japan. I guess I left. I was about 3.30, and when he saw me, I was like 2.80. He goes, what happened to you? <laughs> you know? You've been in Japan for five yeah. or eight weeks. Yeah. And... Uh, so, you know, I came back from Japan, and I, right when I was back, you know, probably a couple months later, it was time to go do the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and then all hell broke loose. And, you know. So he was, Senior was kind of your broker at that point in time? He was the one that was booking you yeah. out in different territories? Yeah, he was. And were you Hulk Hogan at this point? Yes. How did he come up with that name? I was uh, wrestling, uh, I started out wrestling as Terry Boulder. Mm-hmm. That lasted a short while through the Fuller Territory. I went to work for Jim Barnett in Atlanta, and he named me Sterling Golden, my, my boy. boy. Yeah. <laughs> so he named me Sterling. They used to trip me out because he, I was in the dressing room. I had a full head of hair. He'd come by and always put his hands in my hair. Mm. He used to totally flip me out. But he was a genius, Yes, though. yeah. And he a was genius a, he, he guy, He was a good right? guy, too, yeah. brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a Barnett story for you, too. All right. But anyway, you know, then I went to Sterling Golden. Then something happened. uh where I was on a talk show with Lou Frigno, and I went back to the dressing room. Of course, I was all jacked, mm. and gassed to the gills. Literal 3.30? Yeah, yeah, 3.38, actually. 3.38, to yeah. be exact. Yeah, gassed to the gills. <laughs> and uh, went back to the dressing room. He was, oh, you're bigger than the Hulk. So I started using Terry the Hulk Boulder. Gotcha. And then when I went to, I quit like four or five times. Then when the Briscoes called me, I was back working on the docks, mm-hmm. and the Bris- in between rock and roll bands, and Briscoe called me, and he said, you got to go back to New York. It's a big man's territory. I said, oh, I'm not going to go, but I'll talk to it. So you had, you had left wrestling at this yeah. point in time? I'd quit a couple times. Just you know? couldn't take it or was it sick no of money. politics? I mean, oh. Barnett, I was wrestling 12, 13 times a week in Atlanta, and my check was $125. Wow. Living at Mrs. T's there in uh, whatever that place was. <laughs> the dungeon? Har- no, not, no, it was right by the airport, Hapeville. Okay. Hapeville, right by the airport. There was a... a apartment complex where all the boys lived me and brett hart lived was really my, across from me and buzz sawyer was my roommate he was pretty crazy right 
<laughs> yeah, pretty. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. But, you know, I went there and I just, dude, I can't, you know, I go on the docks, you know. Like ship yeah, stuff yeah, off? Yeah, I was a longshoreman. Okay. You know, I had a card and I'd go on the docks and I'd work two days and make six, seven hundred bucks. Wow. You know, unloading ships. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I just, you know, I couldn't make it in wrestling. Then when I came back to Tampa, Briscoe, Jack called me. You know, he bought me my first pair of boots. Jack did. Did he know? really? Yeah, and he called me and we were good friends. He goes, man. This guy Vince McMahon Sr. is calling you, and it's a big man's territory. He says, "I know you, you haven't really made it in the wrestling business, but you can't pass on this." So they brought me down to Albany Avenue, where the old Sportatorium was here in Tampa, with Eddie Graham sitting there and Matt Suda mm-hmm. and Briscoe, and we got Vince Sr. on the phone. And I was like, "Well, I'll come up there, but I'm not wrestling." <laughs> and so I went up there, and I had a tie-dye shirt on, a tank top tie-dye. And I walked in the back of the Allentown TV. I don't know if you've ever been to that yes. TV. And, dude, when I walked in the back, everybody's going, superstar, superstar. They thought I was superstar. Did you have the mustache, too? And the mustache. So, yeah. I had the tank. The totally hair. tan, long hair. And they thought I was superstar. Billy Graham. And Vince Sr. goes, don't you ever wear that shirt here again. I'm like, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it. You know, but anyway, make a long did you not, did, Were you influenced by superstar? Or did you yeah, I saw, I saw him down here in Florida. Okay. You know? And uh, him, he was, was he one of your influences? Him and Dusty Rhodes, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so Dusty, Dusty Rhodes, if he wasn't on TV every week, we'd get pissed. You know? And then yeah. when Billy Graham came down and we saw him come through, I said, okay, I want to be like that guy. Gotcha. You know? Which is funny because I think Jesse Ventura had the same attitude. Yeah. So Billy, Billy must have been like the super charismatic guy at that point, right? Yeah, well, we'd never seen anything like it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, that was kind of like the, the go-to guy for... Did you, you know, used to go to the heads. matches when you were growing up here in Tampa? Yeah, actually, my dad took me um, when I was about eight or nine years old. And as soon in the armory, you know, as soon as somebody like Dusty Rose threw a punch or an elbow and it sounded like a cannon went off, I was hooked. Yeah, yeah I was <laughs> done. I was fried. But I was scared to death of the guys because I avoided, uh, you know, playing football in high school. Just mm-hmm. played baseball, and you know, played in a rock and roll band. And you we, bass guitar player? Yeah. And thought the wrestlers would kill you, you know, because here they took care of the business. And if you actually said something about wrestling or made, you know, said it was fake or have a, that was a great show, they'd punch you right in the face here. Really? No lawyers, no lawsuits back in the day. Crazy, Early right? 70s. You, you couldn't say, so it was, the business was super protected. Yeah, Eddie Graham had it really dialed in. And, and you know, the, the story that, you know, a couple of people heard or a lot of people heard the first day I went down there, they broke my leg. Now, was that a true story? Yeah. Was that Hiro Matsuda? Hiro Matsuda, yeah. So, so, so explain the, the, the logic behind this. Why would they break your leg? Obviously, you're a big guy, good-looking guy, taller than average, long hair. What's the reason to break your leg, to teach you a lesson? Well, Eddie Graham was a promoter, mm-hmm. and his son went to high school with me, Mike Graham. Mm-hmm. And he was a jock. And I was in a rock and roll band. Right. You figure it out. <laughs> so And Mike's a little guy, too. Yeah. And I was a rock and roll band. And, yeah. you know, they put me in seventh period PE, which is where all the football players were, you know. Hmm. And if there were 50 guys in the PE class, half the guys would take their shirt off. Mm-hmm. And they'd give you, like, a soccer ball. And you'd try to run on a football field, throw it through the goal, kick it, run in the end zone. And anything went. Clothesline people, tackle people, okay. anything went. And I used to just run over the guys on the football team uh-huh. when I was in high school. And they hated it because I wouldn't play football. And I had long blonde hair, but I would play music. Yeah, you're in the band. So to make a long story short, with all that heat from high school and not wanting to play football, we fast forward to being wanting to be a wrestler mm-hmm. and playing in the rock and roll bands. Was what was like, your band called? 
the last one was Ruckus. There Ruckus. were several of them. Several of them. Did you play covers or did you play original stuff? Uh, mostly covers. What kind of stuff did you do? Old like, Aerosmith stuff. I was gonna say, Tower of Power stuff. Wow. A few Stanley Clark songs, but nobody got it. You, know? <laughs> you could play that Stanley Clark stuff? Well, I, I, I never played a bass with, with frets on it until my daughter started playing. No kidding. I always played a fretless jazz or wow. ovation or precision bass. That's and, some serious stuff to play a fretless bass. Yeah, well, I, yeah. you know, when I went to the University of South Florida, I had a major in business and a minor in music, so you had All to right. learn. You know? All right. Did your band have some steam? Ah, the last one was cool, you know. Mm -hmm. One of the things that led me into wrestling and really pushed me through was we were supposed to go on the road with uh, an open for two bands, one called Mother's Finest and one, actually, it's CM Punk's music. That da -da 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 -da. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mother's Finest from Atlanta and huh. uh, another band called Blackfoot. Oh, yeah, Blackfoot, Ricky yeah. Medlock. Yeah, we were supposed to open for them. He's in Skinner now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually played with those guys here at Coachman Park Did a couple times with the Skinner That's band. That's great, man. <laughs> but uh, make a long story short, we were, we, I came back. You know, and I was working on Century Artists out of Atlanta, playing all the Stone Ponies and the Big Daddies, and mm -hmm. was doing a lot of studio work there. And then when I came back here, in high school, there were like four or five good bands. And one guy had a good lead singer, one guy had a crazy guitar player, one had a good keyboards, one had a good drummer. So when I came back, all those bands were broke up. There were a couple guys were playing Holiday Inns and on a cruise ship. So I grabbed all the good players <laughs> out of each band and got in a band and called it Ruckus. And we just, and everywhere we went, like we'd play at Hogan's Beach, the place would be packed, and then we'd go to North Tampa, the other place, and that same crowd would follow us. Mm. And the next thing I knew, in walked Oliver Humperdinck. So Oliver nice Humperdinck. manager. Hmm. And I wasn't afraid of him, so I went and talked to him, and he was really nice to me. <laughs> Plus, he had the good abidasis, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so the next thing I knew, um, we went, you know, like to play for another club over on, be on the beach, like... Uh, whatever, something, something on the beach. Like Starman Normans or yeah, something. something like that. Yeah, something like that. And all of a sudden, Joe LaDuke walked in. Hmm. I didn't know how much of a partner he was until I met him, you know. So Joe walked in. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes Dusty Rhodes in the club. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to go, whoa, this is getting crazy. Me, the guys in the band were hitting each other all of a sudden now. Because Florida, you know, I didn't realize it, but Florida, when they weren't in Tampa, they were in Miami and Tallahassee and Orlando. And some of the nights they could get home in time because we played all three or four in the morning. Come and they'd come the in the club, and all of a sudden, we're playing, and the club's full of wrestlers. Mm. So finally, I got up enough nerve to go to Bob Roop. I don't know if you know who Bob yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. So, was he booking the territory at the time? No, was... but him and uh, Randy Orton's dad were hanging out. Yeah, Bob. Bob Orton right. and Bob Roop were teamed up. Okay. And so, you know, all of a sudden, I went to Bob Roop and said, hey, man, you know, shirt sleeves rolled up, playing <laughs> yeah. in the band. Hey, Extra I, medium. Yeah, you know, I'd love to be a wrestler. Oh, yeah, we can hook you up. We got Matsuda down here. I said, no, I don't want to wrestle Matsuda. So he's just going to work you out because Matsuda worked the territory, too. So you'd seen him on TV. And he was a heel, and he was a horrible, you know. He's a horrible man. Yeah, horrible yeah. man. <laughs> and so I went down there, and they exercised me until I was ready to faint. Everything turned white on me, and they threw me in the ring, and he broke my leg. He sat. What'd I actually do? took him down. Uh-huh. He let me, you know, I got behind him. You know, I knew a little bit of amateur wrestling from high school. Took him down, you know, and when I took him down, I'm sure he was laughing. He sat between my legs, put his elbow in, in my shin and grabbed my toe and just broke my leg. Oh. So, did you did you know it was coming or was it really No, quick? I had no idea. It was quick. So it wasn't like he was like, ah. It was like, no, it just snapped my leg. Wow. So so what do you do? Just sit there going like, Oh, man. Ah. I didn't cry. Uh -huh. I wanted to. Right. And I got out of the ring, hobbled out of the ring, and went out to my Econoline van. Mm -hmm. and realized I couldn't push the clutch pedal in. Mm -hmm. 
So I called my dad, who was pissed. And he came down and got me and said, you're never wrestling again. And I, I didn't want to tell him I already quit college, you know, like for the third or fourth time. You know, did he, did I, I had two ye- credits left I needed. Oh, did he go yell at anybody inside? No. no okay. He's no. like, I'm getting out of here too. No. So I just. So you quit college because you were going to be a wrestler uh, in a rock and roll band. Sounds familiar. Yeah, but your dad yeah. takes you out of there. Nursed my wounds. And about 12, 14 weeks later, I went back. So let me ask you this. When you were healing, were you thinking, I'm going to go back there and show these son of a bitches what's up? Or what were you thinking at the time? I just was thinking that I was never going to let anybody hurt me again. Mm-hmm. Because even though I you know, did take him down, if I'd have, I, it was almost like out of respect. I was just going to hold him there. Sure. Because you know, I didn't know what to do. You know? But th- now I had my head set that I'm going back, and they're, ne- they're never going to hurt me again. Yeah. So I went down there, and they just beat the crap out of me for about a year and a half. What did they say when you came back? They couldn't believe I came back. That probably got you a lot of respect. Yes. I'm sure they're thinking that. Yes. And that heat from high school and, you know, not playing sports and all that stuff. Plus, Mike Graham had a very good friend named Steve Kern. Mm-hmm. And they were thicker than thieves at the time. At the time. Right. And Steve was nice to me. Now that I think about it, that probably pissed Mike off because Steve was nice to me. <laughs> God bless Mike. I love him today. Absolutely. I really do. But back in the day, the yeah, but back in the day, man, Steve yeah. was friendly to me. Don't be nice to the mark, yeah, you know. So, yeah. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the mark. Yeah. <laughs> so long story short, you know, I went back and Matt sued on North Del Mabry. I never went to the Sportatorium except mm-hmm. maybe once every two weeks. But on North Del Mabry, Matt Suda had like a clothing store where we made knee pads and stuff right next to the Briscoe's Body Shop. So I'd go up there every single day and work out thousands of squats, you know, and – Matsuda didn't want to wrestle me every day, so he'd send Gordon Nelson in there. That was horrible. He was a crazy shooter, wasn't he? Yeah, that was Nelson? horrible, dude. That was horrible. Yeah. You know, and I just made sure nobody's ever going to hurt me. You know, I tap. So you know. they're, they're testing you to see, like. Yeah, but that was it back in the day. You didn't get a pair of wrestling boots from Santa Claus mm-hmm. and then go to wrestling mm-hmm. school back then like you do nowadays. Right. You know, you don't get paid to wrestle somewhere. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, to learn, it was different back then, so. I kept going. I had real long hair. I cut my hair all the way off, you know. And, uh, so they wouldn't have anything to pull or something. Whatever. I yeah. just wanted to get, get them off my ass, you know. <laughs> hey, long hair. Yeah. And, you know, just went down there, and they beat me up and beat me up and beat me up. And it just went on for like a year and a half. And I saw Paul Orndorff come in there and walk. Hmm. So what's up with that? I saw Brian Blair come in there and walk. You know? I mean, they, they're leaving. They're quitting. No, they didn't leave. Oh, they going. got in in a couple months. Orndorff never gets stretched. Oh, they're stretched. going to the next level. Yeah, Orndorff never gets stretched. You know, and then all of a sudden Blair came in and didn't get stretched. His, mm. his uncle was Buddy Colt, another wrestler here, which I didn't get. Mm. You know, I don't know if they were scared to death of Paul or if he had a bragging rights or whatever. They never stretched him like they stretched me, and they could have. Mm. You know, so to make a long story short, I was there one day, and, and uh, Matsuda wasn't there. But he had a young boy named Lance that ran the sewing shop, you know, where they sewed the clothes and stuff. And he made Lance count the jumping squats. Hmm. And I tried to pay Lance off and bribe him. He goes, nope, he wouldn't do it. And the Japanese kid was brutal. How many did you have to do? By then, I was only doing three or 400. Yeah, yeah, only. No, but I mean, I was, I was like 235, 40 pounds. Listen, if you try and do 10, it's hard. You know, yeah. to do three, 400, that is unbelievable. Yeah, but I dropped a bunch of weight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at 240, 245, that was light for me. So then the Briscoes come stumbling in. And Jack and Jerry came in, and they said, hey, we came in to see you get stretched in. You know, they're laughing and him hawing, you know, doing yeah. their thing. Yeah. And uh, they said, we're going to talk to Matsuda for you. I said, oh, God, what now? Mm-hmm. You know. And so the next thing I know is Jack comes in like a week later, and he had a pair of Hildegard boots. Hmm. 
a black pair of boots he bought me, you know. <laughs> and he says, congratulations, you're done here. So they said, tomorrow you're going to the Sportatorium and you're going to work out with Eddie Graham. I was going, oh, my God, I was ready to quit. Wow. I said, now Eddie, I mean, Eddie Graham was at the main events against Malenko and your Boris, yeah. Yeah, and everybody, you know. Uh, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to kill me. I'm never going to make it. Mm-hmm. So Eddie Graham taught me how to lock up and hit the ropes and take a headlock and take the over, and I started crying. And it freaked me out that they'd, you know, you know, work me or deceive me. You know, I, it just freaked me out. He asked me, what's wrong with you? And Patterson was there. Patterson was all upset because I was like. Pat? Yeah, Patterson was there watching the stuff. Was Pat working down here? Yeah, Patterson was working gotcha. here. And then Pat was, hey, let me show you something, kid. Right? Just two, three <laughs> punches, go hit things. that second rope, hook it, and roll out. You know, the second <laughs> rope. Show me how to take a bump through the rope. It was probably about the only one I ever used getting out of the ring. <laughs> but That's right. it freaked me out so much because I didn't know what to expect. That When they showed me that, you know, you don't grab a headlock with a bone across, you grab it the other way. And I'm just totally opposite of what Matt Suda taught me. You're showing you know? how to work. Yeah, and it freaked me out, you know. Mm. It just upset me so much that I, it clicked. That these guys have been screwing with me for a year and a half, and they broke my leg for no reason. I'm like, wow, it just hit me, you know, on the spot. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm bawling like a baby in front of Eddie Graham, you know, because I realized what had happened to me. But I knew better than to say anything because I figured Eddie Graham was probably ten times worse than Matsuda. Yeah. Which, you know, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's interesting because I went through a similar thing, not, not as bad, but up in Calgary with the Hearts. And it really taught you respect and discipline. And oh, yeah. do, do you want to do this or not? Because like yeah. you said, we're not getting paid to train. Yeah. We're not getting uh, – and nothing against the guys that have the performance and all that stuff. But you really had to decide, this is what I want to do. And I'm yeah. going to put up with this every day until I get there. You know what I mean? I really and, felt that gave me and, an extra edge. And you got to look at the other side of the coin. I mean, you got Matt Suda, who's on the type of schedule you're on. Mm-hmm. You're working the territory, working every night, and then you want to come down and work out with a mark during the day? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, brother. Right. You know, thinking about that, too. You know, I'm asking these guys to help me when there's like 10 or 12 jobs in the territory. There's 10 or 12 wrestlers in the territory. I mean, in their mind, they're thinking, why am I – I'm wrestling six, seven nights a week. Why do I want to come down in the middle of the day when I could be with my wife or kids mm-hmm. or resting or training and screw around with Terry Bollea, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, if he does get good, he might take my job. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. someday. So I'm looking at it on both sides of the coin. And, you know, so it was, uh, it was a situation where I got in the business – worked about two or three weeks and all the boys were using me as, as the driver because my girlfriend had a brand new car and Rocky Johnson and Gordon Nelson, everybody else would pile on my car and I didn't know anything about charging trans and they were driving me like seven, eight hours to Tallahassee and back and I'd get a $20 payoff. Mm-hmm. And then they were driving me to Miami and I was driving and they're all drinking and partying in the car. I'm driving and they're hitting me in the head and slapping me and screwing with me and you know trying to piss on me when I pull over on the side of the road and and I'd drive it all the way to Miami back and get $20. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend's brand-new car is getting – the brand-new Ford Trino was getting trashed. Mm. But that's the car they always wanted to ride in. Of new course. One. It's the nice one. And I didn't know any better. So after about a month and a half, two months, I quit again. You know? And then uh, I got a call from Harley Race trying to get me to come to Kansas City because he'd been smashing beer cans on my head in the bar, the Imperial Room. And he wanted me to come to Kansas City, and, and uh, Jarrett got a hold of me, you know? Jerry. Jer- no, uh, Jeff Jer- Jarrett's dad. Yeah, Jerry Jarrett. Yeah, right, Jerry yeah, Jarrett. Yeah. And he wanted me to go to the Fuller Territory first. 
which was where? Pensacola? Pensacola Mobile. With the Armstrongs? With Bob? Yes, okay. yes. Pensacola first. And so I went to the Pensacola and worked around there for about six months. Then they brought me up for a shot in Memphis, and they basically said, don't go back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm here with Hulk Hogan. Now, Hulk, you paid your dues in wrestling. I don't think people realize that you had years and years of paying dues and learning the trade, not just getting wrestling experience, but also getting life experience and learning how to survive through everything. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, in later years, it really hit me, mm-hmm. you know, because I spent about four years at a company called TNA. Mm-hmm. And it was a situation, and, you know, I've heard this in other places, but I, I heard it a couple times in the back where, you know, which really kind of hits me weird because people say stuff to me and it go in and out of one ear, you know. Sure. But then sometimes people say stuff where you may not pick it up or Ronnie or somebody not hear it. Ronnie's my buddy here. But stuff hits me weird, you know. And all of a sudden I was at TNA and, you know, there were a few dressing rooms at Universal and then they had a little trailer where some guys would get dressed in. I remember walking through the trailer back was really yoked up. It was like after the third or fourth back surgery, I was really in bad shape. I heard one of the young guys going, oh my God, they gave me this plane ticket and I can't even, it's not even a Y class, I can't even upgrade it. And I was like, <laughs> I was thinking about the first five or six years in my car driving around with Alpha and Sika trying to kick my windshield out in the car when we'd be drinking and <laughs> getting arrested, you know, in, in New Jersey on the side of the road, you know, and yeah. having Monsoon bail me out and driving, you know, for like first four or five years everywhere and I heard these young guys complaining flight, it flight. was a cheap ticket we couldn't even change the ticket upgrade I, I just stopped in my tracks I just had to bite my tongue you mm-hmm. know because stuff like that's hard for me yeah you're flying to Japan in middle seat smoking next to the bathroom thank you <laughs> I was there thank you you know but, the deal but I mean you, you did pay your dues and we, we talked kind of early about how you're throwing gold and how you worked with Andre for Vince senior then you mentioned getting back to the to the uh, Stallone thing with Rocky three and getting fired did you go work for, for Vern Gagne then yeah when when uh, Vince senior told me I would never come back again mm-hmm the Rocky movie um, wasn't even out yet, and I just sent all my 8x10s to Minnesota mm-hmm. because the word on the street was, well, out of all the territories, Minnesota was the greatest place to work because they paid you really well, and you only worked four days a week. Mm-hmm. You know, And back then, being single, I went, eh, why not? So I sent all my pictures to Vern Gagne, and as soon as he got him, he goes, come in as soon as you can mm-hmm. because um, – you know, he just saw the pictures and, and wanted me to come in. I was young and in good shape. Sure, looked great. Right. Especially at the time, too, because this is where I come into the picture, growing up in Winnipeg. Uh, AWA was, was kind of the family tradition. But you had your Pattersons, your, your Stevens, Baron Von Raschke, Crusher. They're not exactly the most muscular and good-looking of guys. It's the old beer drinking, I'm going to carry a keg down the street yeah. on Main Street and drink and smoke a cigar. So you showing up there was like, well, there's this big guy with hair, and he's cool, and he's young. It was, it was completely different from what we saw there. Yeah, and, and, and it was like, us, like I said, it was like 
we haven't said this, but it was actually like they laid the red carpet out for me as far as the sun, the moon, and the stars. You had Jesse Ventura that was cool as hell, mm-hmm. but he was a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And you had the Crusher, who was their number one good guy, the beard drinking you know, yeah. from Milwaukee that was leaving. Oh, So, okay. yeah, he was on his way out there. I happened to walk in right when the Crusher was exiting, and my first interviews for like the first three weeks in Minnesota, I never showed him my face. I just put the arms up and did the promo and had John, handsome Johnny Valiant talking. And I was said, he your manager? Yeah, when really? I first got there, that lasted about two or three weeks, and Vern said I didn't need him. Uh-huh. And I said, if you want to see my face, you have to buy a ticket. My arms were legitimately 24 inches back there, and I was all gassed up to the gills, of <laughs> <Yeah>. course. <laughs> and, you know, just basically, you know, running wide open back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked. It sure did. It worked. It was crazy. I mean, it was like it worked in... They just wanted to have another crusher there mm-hmm. to take his place. I fell into the perfect spot. Well, with a completely different look, too. We'd never seen anything like that before, especially for a young kid like me being 10 years older. It's like suddenly there's this new guy. Well, before you actually realize that, they had had Billy Graham come through there. Oh, okay, yeah. Many years before. And he really started getting over on him, mm-hmm. and he disappeared, you know. Right, right, right. So yeah. I think I kind of like fell into the right spot, you know. Yeah, the right place at the right time. Now, did you work a lot with uh, Bachwinkle? Yes. He was a great yeah. deal. Yeah, Nick was really good. He's the one that uh, taught me how to go the distance in there, you know, because Nick, you know, wanted to put in 25, 30, 35 <laughs> minutes. I'm like, you know, and which was cool with me because I'd never had a chance to do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got to go back to my old Florida wrestling stuff a little bit. Vern wanted me to work the gimmick. And Vern said, well, you get drop kicked three times and you finally go down to a knee. I said, man, won't that get eat with all the boys? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought when I took a drop kick, I was supposed to flat back <laughs> yeah. and pop back up for another one. Right. You know, the way I was taught in Florida. Yeah. You know, and, oh, no, this is how I want you to work. And then Vern actually told me to start the shaking thing. You really? Know, that was Vern's idea to do the shaking thing. What did he say? Like, you're getting so mad, like, yeah, Popeye yeah, or something? Yeah, like, you start ah. shaking. Yeah, that was all that stuff was wow. Vern's idea. interesting. Yeah, that was Vern, brother. Huh. I didn't yeah. know that. So he yeah. was the one that kind of put that part of the element to the game yeah. then. Yeah. I remember one time you had to do a thing where, um, and were you still working in Japan at this time as well, going for tours when you were in AWA? I had to do what? Were you still going to Japan in between AWA tours? Oh, yeah. Tours? Yeah. Because I remember one time Nick Bockwinkel, and they, they really worked over your arm, and he jumped over the top rope and draped your arm, and Hogan's arm is, is done. He's done. He just yeah. appeared for a while. That was one of our, our big blowouts in the AWA. Mm. Um, well, there are actually two of them. One was my Japan, and the other was Vern's daughter. Mm. But, you know, the Japan thing was whenever I had a day off or two, I'd just blow back to Japan because I loved it over there. If I had three days off, I'd call New Japan and, you know, call a Okay, for sure. Yeah, and to the point, you know, that because I was Hanson's partner, it mm-hmm. got me over. Mm. Just being Stan's yeah. partner got me over. Just being in the ring with him on yes. your side, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, hook and hooky, milky drops. I'd take that clothesline every night. He'd about knock my teeth out, <laughs> but I didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, it got me over. And, you know, so I could call Japan anytime I wanted and go back. So that was one of the things that got Vern hot. And I started selling T-shirts out of the trunk of my car. Like, mm. I was the first guy to ever do any merchandising. When I actually roundabout when I went back to New York with Vince, I started doing it, you know. On your own? No, but I started selling my stuff, gotcha. you know. And then I got heat for that, got heat for playing music, the whole thing, you know. But it, it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. But actually, the, the Vern thing was, when I split from Japan, I was going to the York Mall on France Avenue, 494 on France Avenue in Minnesota, and I was having my T-shirts made one at a time. Hmm. 
And, you know, I had sight, you know, stick a trophy in my chest, do the gimmick, and <laughs> one scar, one million enemies. I had the shirt made that I'd sell a ton of them, you know. And when I went to Japan, I came back. And when I went to TV at Channel 9, I saw all these, you know, Hulkamania shirts and Hulk Hogan shirts. I'm like, Vern, what's up with that? Oh, we're selling those shirts now. I'm going, well, wait a minute, where's my piece? He goes, no, nah, you're not getting any of this. And we actually got in a, a fight in, the, in Channel 9. You know, an argument or a pushing no, a, fight? a fight Basically. where he was sitting at a table with Greg, like where you're sitting and Greg was there. And then I'd walk over to where that podium was to do mm -hmm. the interview with me and Gene. And it'd be an all day affair doing TV. The boys were all sitting around the TV studio and I was standing like right there where Ronnie is. And all of a sudden, right, I'm getting ready to walk on me and Gene to me and Gene. Um, Vern goes, well, how much did that Matsuda teach you? Just cause we were arguing. Right. And so he hit me with that shot. I'm standing up. I looked down and said, enough to beat your ass. And, dude, he came out of that chair like a crazy man. He's probably 60 his at that feet time. Were, yeah, he was, or 65. <laughs> now, his feet were spinning on the ground like the Flintstones trying to get to me. And, he, and I guess when he ran, he lost his balance, but he walked right to a front chin lock. Oh, we got him. You know, and I just kind of went and give a little crankarooski, about five pounds of Richard Belzer gimmick, you know. <laughs> and, dude, he went down like a sack of rocks, but I pancaked on top of him on that trousel floor. And he got up, and his hair was sticking straight out like Bozo the Clown, just like mine in the morning, every morning. He goes, that's it. This isn't the end of this. And he went back to the bathroom to regroup. And Greg, gone, used to start to take his sweater off. And Dr. D, David Schultz, go, hey, boy, if I was you, I'd put that sweater back on. Because me and Schultz were tight back then. Yeah. But that's where the blow-off really went down. And then that next week, he canceled the show in St. Paul. And he doubled the ticket prices and moved the show back a month. Hmm. And he brought Stanley Blackburn in, the president of the AWA. And it was me against Bockwinkle for the belt. And Vern came back in the dressing room. You know, I was sitting in the dressing room with Brunzel and Greg and all the guys. I had my, you know, cooler Miller lights there, you know. And <laughs> we're getting ready to go to the ring and go 30-plus with Bockwinkle and have a blast. And Vern goes, you're taking the belt tonight. Hmm. I'm going, okay, fine. That's awesome. Because hmm. he had this thing so bullet. I never could win the belt. Never could win the belt. Never could win the right. belt. So he goes, tonight you're taking the belt. He goes, well, I'm getting half your Japan deal. I said, no, you're not. Hmm. And then he goes, yeah, I am. You're taking the belt. And there's more to the story than that. He was trying to sure. hook me up with his daughter. Oh. He wanted me to come over and have dinner at the house with Kathy Ganya. And he wanted me to see his daughter. And Kathy had this awesome, crazy, great body. But her face looked just like Greg. You know, I just couldn't. Couldn't handle it, you know? <laughs> and so there was all these things building up, you know? I wouldn't go over to the house for dinner, and he wanted me to take the belt. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the day, in the dressing room, you know, as I'm sitting there drinking a Miller Lite, getting ready to go to the ring, he's going, I'm getting half your pants. I said, no. Yeah. And so I said, no. And, and it, it was just a major blow-up. So I guess Vernon had this whole finish laid out where I was going to beat Bockwood with a celebration. He brought Stanley Blackburn and made all there. the fans think the belt was going to change hands. And it just went all downhill. It I never got, happened. No, I got in the ring with Bockwinkle, and me and him got in a little pissing contest in the ring. He kept, he kept punching me in it right under the Sternum. storm. And he would hit me where it knocked my wind out, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and I couldn't. I said, I said you know, knock it off, Bockwinkle. I said, bro, I can't get up. He, he kept that belly shot. I mean, but it was a shoot. About the second time he did it, I said, brother, you know, you need to knock it off. He, he did it again, and I just picked him up, and I clocked him 
with everything I had right behind the head, and we were supposed to go to the fish. He couldn't remember how to put the sleeper on. If you watch the tape, he does, he can't remember how <laughs> to put the do. sleeper on. No. <laughs> you know, so the whole finish was screwed up and everything. It was an abortion. But. Now, I remember, so AWA would come every month to Winnipeg, for example, yeah. every six weeks, whatever. So, you know, January it's AWA, and February it's AWA, and March suddenly it's WWF. And there was no real warning. There was no real... There's a new company coming. It was just like, what is this WWF thing? It was that quick, the takeover, when Vince came into that territory. Yeah. How, how, how did you get hooked up with Vince? And was it, did you know like, it was, it was, that the, the takeover was coming that quick? Wow. Or the buyout, um, I guess. I might you know, what the word would even be. It, it was kind of crazy because I'd been living in an apartment um, where the Mall of America is. Mm-hmm. There used to be an apartment there called the Versailles Apartments, where all the stewardesses lived. <laughs> and I was living there. I was single, of course. Hey, of course. Yeah, and I just met this girl in California, who at the time I was just dating her, happened to be my first wife, Linda. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was starting to get serious, but I still was, you know, partying. Doing your thing, yeah. And I decided to buy this townhouse um, in Bloomington. Were you making pretty good money in Yeah, in, I was, I was doing good. Yeah, yeah, I was doing good. And, I, and plus, I was going to Japan all the time, right, so I was exactly. doing good. Big money there. So back in the day, it was good. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of a sudden, I decided to buy this townhouse in Bloomington, and I bought it from Kathy Ganya because she was a real estate agent. And, I mean, the day of the closing, she came dressed to the nines. I mean, this whole thing was, like, going to explode anyway. She came dressed to the nines, and the day I closed, I brought Linda in from California. Ah. Uh. And it, it just didn't go down well. <laughs> right. But to make a long story short, we had been in the house about a month, month and a half, when I was at the Rosemont Horizon, and I was in a six-man tag, and like, Dusty Rose, my hero, it was sold out, baby, which it was. <laughs> sure. People hang I love Dusty. Yeah, Tell them who. It was I mean, sold out, crazy. And that AWA thing was to a fever pitch in Minnesota. It was we were, very popular. We were rolling. Actually, we were getting ready to come into New York. Vince wanted to buy TV. I mean, uh, Vernon wanted to buy, or he did buy TV time on Channel 9 and a bunch of other things. That whole crew we had, we were going to come that way. And so out of nowhere, I'm at the Rosemont Horizon. I'm a six-man tag as Sheik Adnan O'Casey with Sheik Jerry Blackwell and Sheik Ken Patera <laughs> against me, Greg, and Jim. Uh-huh. And right before I went to the ring, the curtain opened upstairs. If you remember the Rosemont, mm-hmm. those curtains. And the curtain opened. And goes, hey, Hulk, can I get a picture? I went, Steve Taylor, what are you doing here? And the white headband that said Hulkster, I'm doing this number, mm-hmm. was on the cover of the first WWF magazine. That picture was taken while I was still in the AWA. Now, Steve so, worked for the WWE as a photographer. Yes. And as many things. But yeah. yeah. So Steve took the picture, and he goes, here, Vince wants you to call him. I said, Steve. Vince told me I'd never work again. He goes, no, not senior, junior. Ah. So he gave me the card, right? So I'm trying to decide what to do with the card, what to do with the card. And that Sunday, I get back. If the story's too long, tell me to shut up. I will. It's great. Are you kidding me? So this Sunday, it. I get back to Minnesota, and I'm sitting out at Vern's pool with me and Vern and Greg and Bachwinkle and Oh, can you this date and this date? Yeah, you're going to be in Japan here? No, I said, oh, man, I'm there. So they booked me all the main events all the way around the territory with Bachwinkle in the cage, right, for the belt again. <laughs> you know, me all, and all of a sudden, right in the booking meeting, oh, my God, we got to go. we got to have a meeting. You know, hmm. where are you guys going? So all of a sudden, I see Greg and Vern jump up and take off in the middle of this meeting. And Bachwinkle goes, well, I'm going home. I'm sitting there, and there's Kathy Gani there. I'm like, uh, I'm going too. <laughs> 
What I did was instead of going home, I followed Vernon Gregg to the airport. And when I went to the airport, I was because the Minnesota airport was a lot smaller back in. So you get in the car and drive. Yeah, like a movie where you have to yeah, go, like, go through a red light to yeah. catch them. No, I didn't do that. I stayed behind. Them. They were. They didn't they even watch it. And I followed them to the airport, and all of a sudden, the whole Northwest terminal was, you know, small back yeah. in the day. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a big airport like it is now. And all of a sudden, I'm, you know, walking along, and I look, and I kept going, and there's Vern, and Greg, and Vince. Wow. So I got the hell out of there, zipped back to my house, and uh, all of a sudden I told Linda, who just you know came from California, I said, I'm going to call Vince, because I just got him and Vern and Greg talking on the other one. Wow. So I called, because we were getting ready to go into New York and all up down sure. the East Coast, right? And Vern was talking to Turner and the whole thing, man. We were, we were coming. We had a crew, man. Mm-hmm. And so I called Vince, and he goes, I, you know, I'm getting ready to take the company over from my dad. I've got this vision, you know, this is what I want to do. I'm like, oh, boy. He's wanting to go national. Yeah, yeah. you know. I'm going to call the shots, and you're going to cross all the barriers. You're going to go into Kansas City and Harley Race, and you're going to go to the Watts territory. I'm like, somebody's going to get killed here. It's probably going to be me, you know. <laughs> but I'm the guy. I'll do it, you know. And then it goes, well, you know, you should come to New York. I said, no. You come here. No. So Vince flew in. I wouldn't go to the airport to pick him up because I don't want to be seen with him, right? That's right, Because, yeah. you know, I had a hell of a job. And so I sent Linda. She goes, how am I going to know what he looks like? I said, he's going to be this guy with his big shoulder pads on probably a pink or blue or weird green suit, you know? <laughs> big pompadour. Yeah. yeah. And so I, you know, so she spotted him. We didn't have cell phones back in the day back right. then. So here they come back to the house, right? It was great to see him. So we started talking about, I don't know, 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night. Finally, about 4 or 5 in the morning, we shook hands. Mm. A week later, I locked up that brand-new townhouse I bought, split, did something you never should do in wrestling. In the dead of night? No notice. No, not in the dead of night. I know, basically, you know, yeah. Yeah. Figuratively. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But no notice. Total cardinal sin. Should have put Bachwinkle over everywhere mm-hmm. on the way out. And I did the most unethical thing you could ever do in the wrestling business. I just split. Just walked out, yeah. Yeah. That's when... Vern tried to get the Sheik to break my leg in the garden. Oh, he tried to get Iron Sheik. What was? Oh, he, oh, he tried to pay. Tell me the story. hundred grand. Is this all Iron, true? I don't know what's true. Yeah, it's no, it's legendary true. Bulls, no, it's know? true. Iron Sheik broke in with Vern. Yeah. In, yeah so he calls Iron Sheik on the backside, you know, getting the Sheik's intellectual brain and tells the <laughs> Sheik how bad he's getting screwed over and just be buckling for the belt. He, he should keep the belt for two, three, four, five years, just like Backlund did. Mm-hmm. And he shouldn't drop it to this guy that's not a real athlete, that he's not a real wrestler. And he just break his leg. This guy will go away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they won't have any choice but to keep the belt on you. What are they going to do? You're going to break Hulk Hogan's leg. They'll keep the belt on you. You know, it's a shoot. It's a work. It's a work. It'll work. Yeah. So Sheik, thank God, had enough consciousness of mind to tell Vince about it, you know. Because he, he, you know, I guess he wanted to work in New York more than he wanted to go back to work for Vern. Of course, right. And so, you know, that was a true story. Vern offered him a hundred grand, grand to break my leg, leg which wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time I had my leg broke. So, what, what did when you spoke to Vince that night and he was telling you like I'm going to go national and you're going to be the guy? How did you feel about it? Like, did you feel like this could really work? Or I felt, I felt whether it would work or not, I wanted to go back to New York mm-hmm. because just like. I don't know how to explain it, but well, you, I don't know how to explain it. You 
Duh. <laughs> you're easy to talk to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like, I mean, if you're a wrestler, the biggest you can get is to wrestle in the garden. You know what I mean? I was thinking that. You know? It's the garden. Yeah. And so when I went in the garden, even as a heel, I got that, that mm-hmm. vibe, you know? And the Philadelphia Spectrum and all those, that Northeast was, man, that's, that's wrestling up there. That's where yeah. the electricity is. Legendary. Yeah. So I wanted to go back there. And then the, the fact that I figured this babyface gimmick out. And when I saw how it worked in the AWA, there's something about being in the garden and being in those bigger cities that even if you don't have that great of a match, people still think it's great. Mm-hmm. I knew if I went back with this Hulkamania gimmick and what I saw was going on politically with America against Iran and that whole mm-hmm. that heated up thing and the Sheik being the real deal, you know, from Iran, the real Shah of Iran's real bodyguard. Right. And, and you know, he had the perfect gimmick. I knew it was a perfect storm and I was just betting on it was going to blow the roof off mm-hmm. the place. And, you know, thank God we had a short match, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it went good. And it just worked, man, you know. And so that's that's why. Hulk and Iron Sheik, they blew the roof off the place, and that's where we'll stop for today. When we pick things up again on Friday, you hear exactly what else and who else Hulk brought to the WWF. He also talks about his relationship with Vince McMahon Jr., hot and cold, up and down. And we'll get into the details of the first ever WrestleMania, Mr. T, Cindy Lauper. Hulk explains how all of that came to be. So many more great stories with the immortal, the iconic, the biggest wrestling star in history. Hulk Hogan will be here again on Friday. You're not going to want to miss it. Thanks to Hulk Hogan. Very, very cool interview. So so great to be nose-to-nose, eye-to-eye with one of my childhood heroes for two full hours. And this was about a week after I interviewed Paul Stanley. So I had this amazing conversation with my two biggest heroes from, from my 80s childhood. Uh, that's why I love doing Talk as Jericho. It's such a cool experience. It's also going to be a cool experience uh, to see Pritchard versus Bischoff. The great debate. If you haven't checked out last week's podcast, you need to go back and, and get a taste of what they're going to be talking about. On January 25th in Philadelphia, Dave and Buster's on Columbus Avenue. Bruce and Eric go head-to-head with Chris Jericho moderating about the Monday Night Wars. It's the first time ever, and you know it's going to be great. you got to get your tickets at rfvideo.com. You do that now. I'm going to be there. It's Royal Rumble weekend. It's at 1 p.m. The debate will be over. Plenty of time for you to make it to the Royal Rumble, so you can definitely do both. I am going to be there. I'm very excited about this. I worked in both companies. I had a foot in both sides of the coin, so I know know uh, exactly what happened behind the scenes and it's going to be really cool to see uh, and hear Eric and Bruce's perspective as well rfvideo.com go check it out hey listen thanks to all you guys once again for listening to the show Hulk Hogan was amazing part two on, on Friday and I also want to thank you for doing all your shopping through my Amazon links I appreciate it it's the easiest way to support this show so I can keep doing it for you for free for twice a week now listen you know how to find my Amazon links we've been through this before you go to podcastone.com you click on the keep our podcast free banner at the top of the page then you click on talk is jericho you see all three of my amazon links in the uk the usa and canada a every time you do that amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week no extra fees no hidden challenges you're just getting your shopping done you're helping me out in the process all right once again that's another fun-filled edition of talk is jericho in the meantime and in between time stay hard stay hungry peace love and hugs we'll see you on friday for part two with the greatest wrestler of all time the most iconic performer in wwe history hulk hogan and a big yeah boy to that you can download new episodes of talk is jericho every wednesday and friday at podcast one.com that's podcast one.com 